Well, we are in week two of Flannel Graph Heroes, and last week we uh, were in the book of Judges, and we're actually going to return to the book of Judges again, but unlike last week, our, our, our character last week was Ehud. Who was here last week? A lot of folks on vacation, I know. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. <laughs> he was here. Praise the Lord for William. If you've missed that, go back and, 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 and watch the podcast because uh, it's a really interesting story that a lot of people have never seen or read before. Uh, Ehud is a, one of the judges, but his story, it, a lot of people don't know about. This week, however, everyone has heard about our flannel graph hero probably on the planet because everybody's heard of Samson. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to be back in the book of Judges. Samson actually gets four chapters dedicated to him. He is the, the 12th and the final judge in the book of Judges, and, uh, which I think that number is significant. 12 is is very significant number. 12 judges, 12 uh, tribes of Israel, 12 disciples. It's a number of government, and I think that is significant. You know, the period of Judges was 300 years It began right after Joshua, and it ended right before King Saul. 300 years in this pattern of of rebellion, and then repentance, and then rescue, and then peace, and then the next generation would forget, and then it would start all over again. Sometimes that's the way our lives go. We rebel, we get on our knees, we repent. God rescues, we have peace for a while, and then we forget, don't we, what God has done. And sometimes we fall right back into it again. But Samson is a big deal. He's a larger-than-life character. He's actually the superhero of the Bible. He's the strongest man to have ever lived because God granted him supernatural strength. He didn't have to go to the gym one time and he could eat whatever he wanted. Does that not make you sick? Ah, I think if I got one wish. Nah, I won't go there. Better be careful, yeah, better be careful with that. He was actually born under prophetic Words, not unlike Isaac or Moses or John the Baptist. He grew up with with fairly good parents, and in a very unstable time, he grew up in a fairly stable home. So surely his life would become a shining example of morality and righteous living for all of us, right? Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, for time's sake, we can't read all four chapters. Somebody say amen, hallelujah. But I do want to highlight a few things out of Samson's life and get some takeaways there, and one of which is his birth. So let's look at Judges 13, 13, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to be in the New Living Translation on the screen. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Years. This is the same song and dance as we had last week. As I said, a pattern with Ehud. The only difference is the characters change. Instead of Ehud, we have Samson. Instead of, of, of Eglon and Moab, we have the Philistines. The obvious quick takeaway, it's not even on the screen, is that the deliverance and the peace that God gives to us won't last either if we disconnect from him. If we don't intentionally walk with him every day and and develop a growing relationship with him, 
Those things that he does in our life, we can't take those for granted. They could be gone if we don't live for him, if we don't walk with him. Verse 2. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. Do you feel the messianic rhythm of this? Messianic just means a savior, and that's what he was. It sounds a lot like Isaac. It sounds even a little bit like the birth of our Savior, an angel of the Lord. You're going to give birth to a son? Verse 4, so be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Let's skip down to Judges 13, 24. When her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. So from the time of his birth, God had his hand on Samson. See, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, before the Holy Spirit was given, God would would raise nations up like he did Israel. God would put his hand specifically on individual men and women. And that's what he has done in this situation. Aren't you thankful we're post-Jesus and and post-Holy Spirit where he dwells in all of us? Well, in the Old Testament, it wasn't that way. And he he would raise up individual people and bless individual nations. And that's what he's doing here. Samson was a special child. He was dedicated to God by his parents. He was blessed by God. The Holy Spirit was working in his life at an early age. If anyone was set up for success, it was Samson. In your high school school yearbook, he would have been voted most likely to succeed. That's right. He had it all. He was smarter. He was bigger. He was stronger. He was anointed. He was blessed. He was favored. Have you ever met anybody like that? Come on. Have you ever met anybody? It doesn't make you sick. I mean, they seem to have the total deal. I mean, they look better than everybody else. They're, they're, they're athletes. They maybe come from money. They just seem to have it all. And so sometimes we're tempted to think, if only, if only I had what they have. If only... I could sing like they sing. If only I could play that sport like they play it. If only I had the money. If only I looked like them. If only I had the opportunity that they had, then I could be something great. Then I could do something great. Well, first of all, everybody look at me. You have no idea what's going on in their life. You have no idea. It may look like they have everything on the outside, but they may be living in a personal hell. How many celebrities are we going to bury and watch kill themselves until we understand that money and fame and fortune and wealth does not equal happiness or joy or fulfillment? It does not. They do not. Can I take a second and encourage you this morning? Anybody need that? Come on, I do. Can I take a second and get off of of Samson's story just a minute? 
and read you why you have everything that you need. I feel the Holy Spirit. You have everything that you need to do something great and mighty and to fulfill your purpose for Christ. Psalm 139, verse 13, the King David says, For you, meaning God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret, I was made. I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw. Everybody say saw. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. In other words, this isn't a dream. This isn't a fantasy. It's real. It's real. God is with me. God loves me. God cares about me. Hear me today. Hear me today. Each one of you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You have been knit together. You have been woven together. You have been created on purpose by the almighty God. You are not here by accident. Life is not random. Your science teacher was mistaken. Mm. Now, kids, don't go tell them that. Just that's good preaching material. That's not as good in the classroom, but it's true. It's true. Somebody say it's true. God has a plan. Your life has a purpose, and you have been equipped with everything you need to fulfill that. It it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you came from. You could have come from money and privilege or you could have come from a wild night on the side of the road. It doesn't matter to God. Look at the screen. Look at the screen. God breathed life into your lungs for a reason. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You think you're here by accident. You think you were an accident. You think you were a mistake. God breathed life into you for a reason. For purpose. All right, so wait a minute, Pastor. You're saying this verse says that all my days were preordained for me, laid out. Does that mean I have no choice in the matter? There are some doctrines and things that would lean that way. I don't read the Bible that way. I don't, I don't believe that way. I believe in free will. Everybody say free will. I believe it's proven all the way back in Genesis 1 with Adam and Eve when they chose to disobey why would God predestine them to do that? Would be, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. It never will. But here's the deal. We have free will. We have to choose to align our will with his will. We have to choose to walk on that preordained path that he sets before us. We have a choice. And look at the screen. Life is full of Choices. Young people, life is full of choices and they don't start tomorrow. They start right now. 
And life is full of choices that either put us on God's path or take us off God's path. There is no in-between. There is no, and that is the story of Samson. That is the story of Samson. We don't have time, like I said, to to dive into all of the exploits of Samson, things like the fact that he killed the lion with his bare hands. The word said he just ripped it apart like it was nothing. It's kind of gross. Caught. (laughs) He caught 300 foxes. I mean, how do you even, you know, and tied their tails together, which that would be, you know, tying one pair of the fog. I don't know. He set them on fire to, to take out the fields of the Philistines and the crops. And then the biggest thing, he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. That's not possible in human strength. That was only through the supernatural power and anointing of God. And God used Samson to judge the Philistines, but do you know that Samson himself never gave credit to God. He remained arrogant and cocky. His actions were always motivated by selfish pleasure or anger. Never obedience to God. And he took nothing seriously. He was always doing some game or riddle. One time when he was getting married, the, the pre-marriage ceremony and the party that he had, he had this riddle that cost people their lives. He didn't care. Nothing mattered to him. It was all a big game. He took his anointing for granted. He never thought he could lose his strength. So 20 years go by. 20 years of this lifestyle that he's living, doing something for God, not doing something, living on his own, doing this. 20 years go by, Judges 16.1. One day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Now, to me, that reads like he went and got a cheeseburger. There's no weight to that at all. He went one day to Gaza and slept with it. He went and got some fried chicken. I mean, do you you see what I mean? There's no weight to what he was doing. And that tells me that Samson had become so comfortable with certain sins so familiar with certain sins that they just weren't a big deal anymore. Isn't it amazing how we get so offended with sins in other people? You know where I'm going. And then the ones that threaten to take us out, we don't even see anymore in our own life. I think Jesus taught about that in Matthew when he said, um, time out, you might want to take care of the log in your eye before you try to take care of the speck. Here's the danger. When we become accustomed to sin, when we become familiar with certain sins, we don't see them anymore. Our conscience becomes, what Paul says, seared. We don't feel anything anymore. And we're steps away from that becoming a lifestyle. And look at the screen. You cannot live a sinful lifestyle and fulfill your destiny in Christ. You cannot do it. It's two divergent paths. It's impossible. 
You cannot hold on to certain sins and forget certain sins and fulfill your destiny in Christ. Can I be old-fashioned for a second and remind us that sin is always a big deal? It has consequences. And eventually, whether it's sooner or 20 years later, a lifestyle of sin catches up to us, overtakes us, and overwhelms our destiny. As Samson is going to find out. Judges 16.4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson because he was easily enticed by beautiful women. That was his Achilles heel. Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. They were willing to make this woman rich to find out what was behind the strength and to overpower Samson. So, They did what Samson loved to do. They played games. He asked, oh, Samson, if you love me, you'll tell me the secret. Come on, we're we're in love. It's not going to be a big deal. We're in love. You can tell me. I won't tell anybody. What makes you so strong? So he gives her, he lies to her. He does it three times, and all three times the Philistines come out, and he just breaks off whatever it was that was tying him up. Three times he knows what she's up to. It's like he's just seeing how close to the edge of disaster. He's getting a high off of it. How close can I get? Verse 15, then Delilah pouted. Oh, yeah. How can you tell me? (laughs) How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging. I'm not doing this, y'all. That's not me, Kathy. That's not me. I just... All right, all right, all right. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Now, listen. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I got a point to make here. The tactic that Delilah is using is the same tactic that the enemy uses. His name, not through the wife, no. His name, listen, listen, seriously, listen. Satan's, one of Satan's name, the devil's name is Diabolo in the Greek. Diabolo. Spanish, it almost sounds like that. Diablo. Devil. Dia means throw. Balo is where we get the word ball. So here's the image. And I've shared this before. The image is he knows where to hit each one of us. He, he, he knows where our weaknesses are. And so he just throws, and he's very good aim too. He just throws that ball over and over and over and over and he's very patient 
and over and over. Delilah was patient too, over and over and over until one of two things happens. Either we give in to the sin or we come against it in the name of Jesus and we overcome that thing once and for all. But to Samson, it was just a game. He didn't take it seriously until it wasn't funny anymore. And he started getting aggravated. She torments and nags him so bad he finally gives in. Even, listen, 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 even though he knows her motivation, even though he knows the Philistines are waiting, I can only come up with one explanation as to why he would share his real secret with her. And that is, he, I think he got overconfident. I think he thought he was stronger than he really was. I think he thought he was invincible. He had done it before. He could do it again. Whatever consequence he would have to face, he could handle it. He was arrogant, overconfident, and pride was ruling his heart. Now, I know none of us have ever been that way. Right? Come on, folks. We think we're stronger than we really are. We get overconfident. We rationalize our sin. I got away with it before. I can get away with it again. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't this wonderful? No, 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 no. Verse 17, listen. Verse 17, finally Samson shared his secret. My hair has never been cut. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized he had finally told the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers, come back one more time, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Verse 19, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep. I think that preaches all by itself, so I'm not even going to say anything else. With his head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. So the Captain Obvious point I have right here, oh, come on, that was supposed to be funny, Captain Obvious. Get away from anyone who's bringing you down. The word says she was bringing him down. And the point, even though it's so obvious, we don't do it. Get away from anyone who is bringing you down. Disconnect from anyone who is distracting you from your path, from your calling, from your destiny, from your purpose in Christ. Anybody who is not lifting you up and moving you towards that, you need to disconnect. Now, does that mean you're mean and you're rude? No. Does that mean you never share the gospel? No. It does mean that you are not, you don't become intimately a a friend with them. You don't share secrets with them. That just hit me. I don't want even my notes. I can't even take credit for that one. The Lord, you don't share those God-given secrets with people who are bringing you down. Verse 20, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do 
as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize. Everybody say realize. He didn't realize the Lord had left him. The scariest part to this story is not not that he went down and and slept with a prostitute. It's not that he shared his secret with Delilah. It's not that he played games all of his life and was overconfident and prideful. The scariest thing to me in the story is that he had drifted so far from God that he didn't even know the anointing had left him. He didn't even know that God had left him. Ooh, God, I feel... Jesus... How scary is that? Years ago, my parents owned a lake house in, in up just up in Notley uh, in Blairsville. And I was about 16 years old, so it was a couple years ago. <laughs> what? Anyway, I went down to the dock. Beautiful, beautiful day. The, the, the lake was like glass. I was by myself. Probably shouldn't have gotten in the water, but I did. And I got in on a raft. And I, I lay back on that raft and I put my foot up on the dock just to keep myself, because there's little currents, you know, in all lakes and stuff, and I would have floated away. And so I kept my foot on that dock, but I fell asleep. It was so peaceful. I was lulled to sleep. My foot came off the dock, and before long, and we were, the house is right on the channel. Before long, I was in the middle of the lake, and I'm, I'm dreaming about this, this noise this engine-like noise, and I wake up to a powerboat bearing down, and I jump off and wave my raft, and they, sw- they swerve around me. I had drifted so far that I had become in danger for my life because I had been lulled to sleep. Samson played Delilah's game one too many times and it was about to cost him everything. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a Delilah? Now, I'm not talking about a woman necessarily, okay? Everybody knows that, right? It's an illustration. It's a, it's a symbolic. Do you have a Delilah? What is pulling you away from God's presence? What is pulling you away from your purpose? What is it that you keep messing with That threatens everything that you love and care about. Do you have a Delilah? Everybody look at me. This message could be a wake-up call for many in this room. And you know what that is? That's God's grace. That's God's grace. Don't let it pass you by. Verse 21, so the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. Look at the screen. The enemy wants us bound. Look, just put a period in your mind. If you're taking notes, I got this this, uh, slide to Andrew earlier in the week, and and I changed my mind. He doesn't even care about the rest of it. He just wants you bound. If you're writing notes, just say, the enemy wants us bound. Because listen, he doesn't care if we put on a black cape and march around a fire and, and, and chant to Satan. He doesn't even care if we, if we play church games. He just wants us bound. Listen to me. This is a tough word. Listen, you can speak Christianese. 
You can say all the right things and make all the right moves in church and play church all day long. But if your behavior doesn't line up with your speech, Satan is manipulating your life. You're like a puppet. It doesn't matter what you do in church if it never translates to the streets. It doesn't matter how much you worship in here if you never bow your knee out there. It doesn't matter how loud you shout in here if your conversation doesn't reflect Christ out there. Come on, the choices you make matter. Kids, the way you live your life day to day to day matters. Now listen, I know this is a tough word, but this is a tough world. You don't need sugar-coated teaching or sugar-coated preaching. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a pastor who will be polite. You need a pastor who will be prophetic. You will need a pastor who will be like a coach at halftime when you're down by three touchdowns to get in your face a little bit and to kind of get with you. You need a spiritual father, not a babysitter. You don't need a leader who just wants to have a show. You need a leader who won't give up on you and won't let you give up. And I need your prayers because I want to be that for you. But I need your help. I need your prayer. I can't do that without you. We're in this together. How many will pray for me? Half of you. All right, good. <laughs> I memorized exactly who raised that. <laughs> now, this next verse, we're, we're, we're coming in for a landing. We're kind of on a 747. It's going to kind of be a long stretch. We're coming in for a landing. But this next verse should encourage you and lift your spirit. It's my favorite verse in the whole story. Anybody ready for some encouragement? Here we go, verse 22. But before long, his hair began to grow back. Come on. His hair began, read that with me. His hair began to grow back. Now point to somebody and say, and my hair can grow back too. You claim it, brother? You claim it? I knew I'd get something from that. Doug, come on, brother. Yeah. Now, if you're bald, I'm so sorry that this is symbolic. <laughs> but there are products available. Nah. Come on, come on, come on. Samson sin had finally caught up to him. He'd been overpowered, overwhelmed, publicly shamed, tormented, enslaved. But God was not finished. The story wasn't over yet. And guess what? God didn't decide to put him on some shelf somewhere to never be used again. Come on. God is a God of restoration and God is a God of healing and God is a God of redemption and God is a God of deliverance. Look at the screen. Samson's hair growing back was an outward demonstration of God's inward work of grace. Hallelujah. And that grace, everybody say that grace. That grace is available to every man, woman, boy, and girl in this house today. No matter how big of a mess you've made it. No matter how deep in the pit you are. 
No matter how deep you've fallen into sin, that grace is available. God's grace is greater than your sin. God's grace is greater than my sin. Say, God's grace is greater than my sin. Let's do it again. God's grace is greater than my sin. God's grace is greater than my sin. If you believe it, give him praise. Come on. His hair began to grow back, and that is the gospel. That's redemption. That's what this book is all about from Genesis to Revelation. Hallelujah. Verse 23. The Philistine rulers held a great festival offering sacrifices and praising their God, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. Listen to what he says. Listen. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them, and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Let me encourage you today. Even if the worst, everybody look at me, even if the worst has happened, even if the enemy has eaten your lunch for a season, and even if you have failed miserably, maybe you lost a marriage. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you had to declare bankruptcy. Maybe you disappointed your children. Maybe you messed up your health with drugs and alcohol and wild living. Look at the screen. As long as there is breath in your lungs, there is hope. Come on. Hallelujah. As long as there is breath in your body, There is always, 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 my Lord, somebody needs to hear me today. There's always hope. And if you let your hair begin to grow again, and if you repent and get back in right relationship with your father, if you allow his anointing to begin to flow in your life again, you will get another chance. It may not look like it did before, It may not be the same platform you had before. It said they brought him out to amuse them. But they brought him out. (laughs) Come on. When you've been through something like that, you really don't care how you get out, do you? Come on. It's another chance. It's another chance. They brought him out, and you'll get another chance. You know the rest of the story. He asked the servant to position him against the pillars and hold up the roof, and then he prays. When was the last time he prayed? Ooh. When's the last time you prayed? Okay, no. He prays. He prays humbly, God, just one more time. Strengthen me. Strengthen me. Just one more time. We know he answers that prayer. He pushes the pillars over. The whole place comes down, killing 3,000 people, more than he'd ever killed before in his life. Here's the best part. Everybody listening? I'm I'm closing. I said that before, but I really mean it. The best part is that even in his failures, even with his games, even with his shortcomings, Samson ends his life well. Using his gift to glorify God and God honors. Listen to what he does. God honors that so much that Samson gets a shout out in the New Testament. 
Samson gets a shout out in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith. He's mentioned with names like Samuel and Gideon and King David. Here's the big idea, and it's a good one. Failure is not final unless you stay down. Failure is not final unless you stay down. Satan loves to make strong people weak, but God delights in making weak people strong. Come on. Satan loves bringing down the strong. But God delights in being strong in our weakness. And let me just be the first one in the room to confess I am weak without Christ. I am defeated without God. And I am destined to failure without my Father's help. Can anybody testify? Come on, in my weakness, in my weakness, he is made strong. So, Pastor, how do we get up if we're in the pit, and how do we stay up? The only way to get up is to repent. There is no other way. The only way to get up if you're down is to repent of your sin, and that means turn from it, receive the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and become gloriously saved. i got to stop right there. Bow your heads. If that's you this morning, you never thought you would be where you are, but you're here for a reason and you receive that word that you can come up by the grace of God, you can come up and you want to come up this morning. Will you raise your hand? Come on, you've got to be bold. You've got to be bold. Who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Put your hands down. I want everybody to keep your head, eyes, heads bowed, eyes closed. I want everyone to repeat this prayer, everyone. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm asking right now that you lift me up. I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I turn from that sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness through the precious blood of Jesus. I receive the blood. I receive forgiveness. Please lift me out. Save me. Rescue me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God praise for about six, seven, eight people tonight? All right. I promise the last thing. So how do you stay up? It's the same as when you try to take care of your physical body. It's a lifestyle, isn't it? You can't expect to work out one day a month and be in great shape. You, do, you work out one day a month and you just be mad because you'll be sore for three days every month. You can't eat two times and be healthy in a month. 
Listen, do you know that the national average for members of a church now, their national, the national average for attendance is two times a month. You just put your head down because you know that probably rings true. Listen, that's not going to get it. And if you were even here four times every Sunday, that's not going to get it either. How do we stay up? Number one, confess your biggest temptations to God and avoid them at all costs. Duh. I'm like Captain Obvious today. Confess those things that you know you are tempted by, those things that you know that Satan likes to throw that ball at and stay away from those things. Oh, but Brother Allen, I have to go back and I have to win my friend. No, you aren't ready for that yet. They're going to win you back. One day you may be strong enough and able to, to do that, but not right now. Confess those things and avoid them. That's what Jesus said. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Number two, guard your daily time alone with the Father. I'm a broken record. I say it almost every single week. One day, everybody's going to get it. You have to have time with the Father every single day for Bible study, for prayer, to just get quiet and reflect in His presence, to worship Him, let Him speak into your life. 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. You need to guard that time. You need to just tell everybody to leave. You need to put your phones away. Number three, be accountable to someone you trust. Say, Pastor... I don't trust anybody. Where can I meet somebody? Because it needs to be, if you're a man, it needs to be another man that you trust. If you're a woman, another spiritual woman. You're like, Pastor, I don't even really, I'm not connected to anybody like that. Guess what, folks? In just six weeks, we're starting small groups at New Life. What a great opportunity to meet someone, to become an accountability partner in your life. Be accountable to someone you trust. The team is about, would you stand with me? The team is about to sing a song.